Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. We are honored to have Abdullah Latif with us again. He spent over three decades behind bars for a crime committed as a 17-year-old. Thanks to the Juvenile Law Center and the Supreme Court, you are now a free man. Tell us what your life has been like since 2017 when you were released. Mm. Wow. Uh, thank you again uh, for having me, uh, Harriet. And that's, 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 that's a huge question. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, what, what my life has been like, it's, it's, it's been a, a whirlwind. It's still uh, almost four years later to the day. Mm. Um, it's, it's still surreal. In a, in a lot of ways. So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. Okay. Walking out of out of prison. It was never real until it was real. Yeah. You just you know what the judge said. You kind of like know what the parole board said. You're packing your belongings. You're giving things away. Um, you're saying your final goodbyes. But it's not until I walked out of prison on the morning of October 10th, 2017, on a sunshiny day, for the first time in 31 years of my own free will and volition, without handcuffs and without shackles. It was a strange sensation. It felt odd, but it felt perfectly right, perfectly normal. And as I embraced what was left of my family, uh, just to digress for a, a second, sure. in the process of that 31 years incarceration, I lost my mother to cancer my father had a heart attack at 51 years of age oh. and both of my siblings. And so all of my immediate family members had passed away. And so as much as that was meant to be and should have been a jubilant experience, it was tempered. My happiness, I think, was tempered by the fact that my parents weren't there, my siblings weren't there. And they went to their graves with their youngest child sentenced to life without possibility of parole. And they would never get to see me emerge as a man and fully embodiment of the values, morals, manners, character, and conduct that they tried to instill, even as they were somewhat absentee parents. And so that sadness kind of tempered the moment, but I was also fortunate enough to come out to a wife and stepdaughter and a friend who I actually embraced during my incarceration and we remained friends. He had been released uh, decades earlier. Uh, but we always stayed in contact and he promised that if you ever get, get out, I will be there. And, and certainly uh, he was. And so 
leaving leaving prison that morning, coming out into a world that seemed strange, strange, and I was oblivious to so much. It's almost akin to being inserted in, or being, I guess the best way to say it is, is feeling like you're displaced, mm-hmm. right? Prison isn't, wasn't, can never be my home, but coming home was like being displaced because I was coming home to a community in an environment that was unrecognizable to me. And so there was the challenges of going to the supermarket and how things have become animated, getting on a bus where buses would talk to you, (laughs) Uh, just so many different strange observances, right? That was fascinating but also scary. I would think so. How do you navigate this? I remember the first time I, I was licensed before I went away. And so as I renewed my license and I remember first time pulling into the gas station to get gas and having no idea how the pumps worked. Right. Right. That wasn't how it was when I went away. And it took a minute to, to, to try to figure it out. And it was the same thing with grocery shopping, where getting away from uh, attendants and tellers and cashiers and doing it yourself. And I'm just like clueless as to how this technology works. Those were the moments that manifested a certain degree of anxiety a certain tinge of regret, but also it was a challenge that made me feel alive Hmm. because I also had the ability to figure it out. I, I had the ability to exercise the freedom of my will and determination in ways that prison it creates it creates in a lot of ways a dependent personality because every your your whole day is micromanaged and so when you get into a situation where you can exercise the freedom of will um those those encounters are are challenging but at the same time um it's what make made me feel alive and made me feel part of society and made me feel free then there's the beautiful things about being able to go to the park and just watch life happen around you. The colors, the scenery, the children, the laughter, the things that you've been deprived for for decades and you get to see it unfolding around you. It's almost a sensory overload. Right, I would think so, yeah. But it, but it was a beautiful experience and being able to sit on my own porch at night under the stars in a cool breeze and not have to worry about someone coming to knock on my door or tell me to do this or to do that, or just having that sense of freedom and that sense of solace. Um, so, so yeah, that's how it's been on a personal level and professionally it's, it's, it's been a challenge. I'm in a, in a, in a pretty good place now, but it's, it's the challenges that most formerly incarcerated people face uh, trying to reintegrate into the workforce. 
um, there's this constant apprehension. There's this constant uh, tension around stereotypes that we all have to contend with. Um, and so there certainly is that there. There's the this thing about the fear of the felon and how felonism often dictates what opportunities are extended. So I certainly had to, to go through all of those things as, as well. Um, but I think ultimately what it does is it, it allows you to find yourself, find who you are, right? Where you're no longer defined by your prison experience uh, to the extent that you do have self-efficacy. And I, I think that my experience uh, for, for, for the most part has been quite pleasant, albeit challenging, but I certainly wouldn't change it or, or, or I wouldn't change it for anything in the world if it meant going back to prison. I, I, I'll gladly embrace uh, all of the challenges that come my way. Now, you, you speak about work and, and the workforce. Um, Tell us uh, what you are part of right now in terms of your work. Mm, indeed. So presently, I work for the Campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth headquartered in Washington, D.C. And we are fundamentally a child advocacy and sentencing reform organization whose primary mission has been for the past 11 years to end life without possibility of parole and other extreme sentences for uh, children under 18 years of age. And what we really do is just, we use a, a multi-pronged approach towards, ref towards reform. Uh, and we also serve as a, as a hub and a convener um, as we engage various stakeholders uh, to try to educate the public um, to convene uh, listening sessions with legislators to help draft uh, bills that would end life without possibility of parole and other extreme sentences. But we also work to help restore and repair uh, child, former life sentence children who have been uh, released. And so we sponsor an incarcerated children's advocacy network which consists of former life sentence children uh, and, and helping them to find their voice, their passion and access pathways to prosperity. And then I think uh, amongst the more important things that we do is engage with the public and private sector uh, around creating pathways to prosperity and opportunity and wellness and well-being uh, for both former life sentence children, for survivors of crime, uh, but also for those who have loved ones who are still serving. And so we convene all of these uh, individuals who are on whatever side of harm uh, in ways that are healing, restorative, and supportive uh, as we try to reimagine uh, a healing justice that allows for hope, accountability, but also redemption uh, and restoration. And so primarily those are some of the uh, more focal uh, uh, 
objectives that and goals that we have as a advocacy organization outside of ending life without possibility of parole and other extreme sentences. Now, now in the state of Florida, I was doing some reading of my own. Uh, there are 600 uh, people serving juvenile life without parole. Um, that's that's huge. And your your home state is is Pennsylvania, yes. uh, where there are 517 serving. What what is happening? Given the Supreme Court said that. Uh, all of these children were entitled to a hearing. What's happening in, in say, just these two states? Yeah, so in, in Pennsylvania in particular, uh, that there's, so Pennsylvania was by far uh, the state or commonwealth that led the nation, led the world in the number and rate of people, children who were sentenced to life without possibility of parole. Uh, however, since the United States Supreme Court cases, it's also the true that Pennsylvania has released more formerly life sentenced children than any other jurisdiction uh, in the entire world. So Pennsylvania and and by extension, Philadelphia, which is a county within Philadelphia, uh, who sentenced more people to life without possibility of parole than any other county within Pennsylvania, uh, has been excellent in its resentencing of, of children and creating opportunities for uh, deserving ch former life sentence children to be released. And so Pennsylvania is a uh, stalwart if you will, in terms of the resentencing and, and, and release of, of former life sentence children. And, and for the most part, they are thriving uh, and doing well, uh, both in terms of their personal lives, but also the contributions that are uh, they give to their communities and to society. It's, it's, it's a marvelous thing that deserves a conversation in and of itself. Mm -hmm. In terms of Florida, they haven't um, embrace the the practices and policies that that are prevalent in Pennsylvania that allow for so many people to be released, and so it's really a struggle for uh, for for resentencings to happen, but also for people to be paroled once they become parole eligible. Uh, there's just a different political dynamic that is taking place between the uh, two jurisdictions. And given how the United States Supreme Court has changed um, over, over the last term, uh, our efforts have shifted um, not entirely away from United States Supreme Court, but more uh, local-based advocacy, uh, realizing that uh, the changes that we need and would like to see is likely to happen on the state by state, uh, in the states on the state by state level, and so we're we're more entrenched in our advocacy uh, efforts um, locally as opposed to relying on the United States Supreme Court uh, as and we what, have in the past. What is your role at the campaign for the fair sentencing of youth? What what is your job description? So currently, I work as senior strategist and racial equity specialist, and my job is to interact with all of our departments, uh, 
both our movement building uh, department, which is really about building coalition uh, storytelling and, and engaging and stakeholders on all sides of harm to bring about this restorative and, and healing justice. I work with our comms uh, team that is really about uh, shifting narrative and really getting the public to know and understand the youth, the children who are sentenced to life without, and also to highlight the stories, the remarkable stories of those who have returned from that sentence uh, so that people understand that we aren't the worst thing that we've ever committed and no child is born bad. And there is a story that is there that is dignified, that is redeeming, and that is uh, cognizant of our humanity and our capacity for change. And so our comms team does a phenomenal job uh, in help uh, spreading that narrative and shifting the narrative about how we think and speak about children. And I also work with our strategic uh, partnerships uh, director, which is really about that the public and private engagement to create uh, pathways to prosperity and uh, job opportunity and housing uh, support and just advocate, advocating for wellness and well-being uh, for our former life sentence children who are who are now home and also doing that through the lens of promoting uh, racial equity and, and social justice, understanding how uh, inequities within our system, racial inequities within our system help to exacerbate rather than mitigate uh, the harm that is perpetrated against children who have produced harm. And so we work to undo that as well and create just and equitable outcomes. What, what do you hope to see in terms of changes for children caught up in the justice system in the future? Mm. So I would like to see the American justice system uh, Go back to what it was, and it what, worked. What was it? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it? So there was a shift uh, that enabled children to be ch- treated like children within the confines of the juvenile justice system. Right. And prior to this shift in philosophy, where children were ushered into the adult system and direct files, like we didn't always do that. There was a time in our history where uh, we didn't do so. And what's amazing to me, and sometimes uh, we forget, is that there were many children who had committed harm and egregious harm, even the loss of life. And yet they were treated in the a, a juvenile setting in many cases up until they were 21 years of age, they were released and are phenomenal citizens back in society and have had no touches with the law since. So it's not that the juvenile system didn't, don't, and doesn't have the capacity to work, even for children who have committed the most egregious uh, harm. But even with that, I think this notion of punishment and the the justifications that we use for imprisonment. Uh, I I think that as we evolve in our understanding as a society that we can find alternatives to long-term incarceration that treats harm uh, produced by youth 
for what it is. Um, and in, in most cases, it's not criminal uh, episodes as much as it is that harm people harm others. And when you treat the harm itself, um, this notion that children have the capacity to transform, to heal, and to repair the harm that is caused without being punished for the rest of their lives, sure. that becomes not just a notion, but a reality uh, if given an opportunity. So I would love to see uh, a time when children would be treated like children, even when they cause harm, and that they give be given the proper supports to grow, to mature, to be held accountable in age-appropriate ways um, that allows them to heal from the harm, but to also heal others and and make uh, proper amends for the harms that 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 they uh, engaged in in ways that affirmed and their dignity and and right to the fullness of their right to humanity and dignity and and respect and redemption. Right. Oh, that's so true. Um, what what else do you want to tell us? We have about five minutes left of, you can even go back to maybe some thoughts you had uh, about when we were first talking in, in segment uh, number one. Uh, is there anything that you would like to add? Um, maybe uh, things that were your lifeline as you made your way through three decades of, of prison. Mm -hmm. What else would you like to leave us with? So, what I would like to leave you with is two thoughts. All right. One is that harmed people tend to harm others. But it is also true that healed people help heal others. Mm. And so when we place emphasis, not just on accountability for harm, but more so on the healing process, both for those who caused harm as well as those who are the recipients of harm, then I think that is the justice that we imagine as being just. If we reimagine justice, that's what it is. It's restorative, it's healing, uh, it's accountability that affirms humanity. And so that is one thing that I would uh, uh, or offer as, as a thought and a reflection. The second is that we children are not the worst act that we committed. There is so much to us, to our stories, to our lives, to our ability to contribute to society. And when I say that, I'm not speaking just from our own sense of wellness and well-being, but also how our restoration in many ways creates pathways for healing even to the people in the communities that we harmed. And so when you when we allow for this place of redemption and second chances, it doesn't just accrue to the benefit of the person who, who created or perpetrated the harm. That a benefit accrues to those who are the recipient of those the, the harmful behavior, 
but also the communities that we are returning to. And I would hope that as you hear my story, my experience and, and, and that of others similarly situated, that you recognize and appreciate that at the end of the day, you and I are the same. We are human beings, fallible, able to grow, able to mature, able to restore, able, able to, to transcend, able to change. Indeed. Right. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. But, but if you're not given that opportunity, you know, that that's what I think prison does not do. And so you have been given this chance to uh, rejoin society as it were, and to, and not just rejoin, but to contribute, which you have. And uh, I, I thank you so very, very much for uh, taking the time today to share your story. I hope uh, that your words have an impact on people who are listening and maybe change some minds about children. I, I read somewhere that uh, children are not little adults. And isn't that the truth? <laughs> right. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, Indeed. Thank you. Thank you so very, very much, Abdullah, for your time today and our last podcast as well. And we have uh, Marsha Levick, uh, who will be coming next week uh, to talk to us about her role in, uh, in juvenile justice, uh, which is quite extensive since 1975 so, absolutely and she absolutely. she is responsible for having you on as as my guest so i thank her for that Indeed. and i thank you and, and I, I wish you i wish you well and all the very very best and i thank you thank you so much uh, for the opportunity and absolutely tune in to hear marcia levick who is the most phenomenal uh, attorney in, in, in this field relative to uh, juvenile justice and restoration. Uh, so look forward to that uh, podcast as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you again, Abdullah. Indeed. Be well. Indeed. Be thank well. you. Please tune in next time for Pursuing Justice. And thank you for listening.